Brian Alcoholic. Um, you know, let me actually set this timer because once I start talking, sometimes, you know, talking about myself, I could keep going and going and going and I don't want to take the time away from Ted. So, um, Brian, uh, grateful alcoholic, man. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. You know, um, you know, I, my experience with alcohol, you know, I started drinking at, my first drink was at 14. Right. And, um, you know, I had that ooh-ha moment of I had arrived, you know, like I didn't care what people thought. Um, you know, I, w- I was having fun. Um, I'm a blackout drinker, so I blacked out the very first time I drank. And, um, you know, my first thought after after experiencing that night, you know, I was with my cousins. Uh, my first thought was like, let's do it again the next day. You know, after my cousins telling me like, man, you're a different person when you drink. You know, you're not the Brian we know. You're, you know, it's like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of thing. And and so, like, that has been, you know, it was fun in the beginning. You know, I think, like a lot of us, like, there's no problems. We're, we're out here, they're just experimenting. And, um, you know, I was always curious at a young age what alcohol did, just watching my mom drink. And, I mean, she's a normie, but, but still, like, I was curious. And as the years, you know, went by, um, obviously it started to become a problem, you know, um, relatively quick, you know, um, the obsession kicked in pretty quick for me, you know, where it was just like, I I'm cutting class. I am stealing alcohol from different stores. Um, you know, my grades tend to, you know, they, they go down real fast, you know, and my parents start to notice and, and like, it just got really chaotic, really fast. I almost didn't graduate from high school, right? I had to go to continuation school because like, I was just cutting too many classes and I had to do homework. And, and so like, you know, like I, I, I had no sense of direction with what I wanted to do, you know, like, it's like, you know, people here, my friends are going off to college and like, I, what, what am I, what am I going to do? And so I started as working with my brother my oldest brother, who's an independent contractor. And that allowed me to drink however I wanted to. Right. And, and I mean, from there on out, it was just like, I have jobs. I have these various jobs and working in the restaurant industry, you know, and, and, and I mean, it just gets bad really fast. I'm making money, but I never have money for rent, you know, never, it never made sense, you know, especially to my mom, you know, cause I always had to come begging for her like, Hey, I need money for rent. Like, you know, aren't you working? It doesn't make sense. And so like the DUIs started adding up and, 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 you know, and, and I was married at the time, you know, had one kid, and I, I mean, I was just selfish and self-centered, man. It just made it all about myself, you know, um, not showing up at home to help with the kid, you know, staying out at odd hours. And, and so like, you know, the wife was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And so she left. And, and at first I was like, good. Cause now I could drink how I want to, you know, and, and, you know, shortly after the D, you know, I get a second DUI and, and, you know, like I, at one point I want to kill myself. Right. I really want to take my own life because like, I really can't live life on life's term, you know, like I, I really can't do it. But the only thing that really keeps me going is my daughter, you know, like I didn't want to leave her without a father. Um, and so what, it, what had happened was I ended up getting my third DUI, you know, and this time it was a lot more serious. They actually wanted to lock me up for four months. Um, you know, it's the third DUI in 10 years. And so my lawyer, um, you know, thank God for my lawyer, he suggested that I, I go to AA meetings, I get these court cards signed, and I get two ankle monitors, one for alcohol and one for GPS, you know. And um, 
you know, when I tell you, I'm, I'm so grateful for that third DUI, you know, cause, cause it got me to where I'm at today. You know, I, I, I was reluctant to, to get a sponsor the first, you know, like I, I, I was just going to meetings to get my core card signed. And as soon as the meeting was over, I'm out the door, you know, but, but, um, my home group is Elsa Brani fellowship in Elsa Brani, and this little, you know, this little lady, like, you know, um, one day she caught me, she found out my routine. Like as soon as I got my core card signed, I'm out the door and she stopped me and she said, Brian, we're going to love you till you love yourself. And she gave me this hug, this genuine hug that like my mother would give me. And, and, and then I was sold on the idea, like you guys are for real, you know, like I thought this was like all like, you know, kind of, I didn't, you know, a scam, you guys wanted money, the basket and all this stuff. And, and so, but when, when she hugged me, I felt that genuine love. You know, and, and she, you know, she said, do you got a sponsor yet? Um, I said, no, not yet. And she was like, get, get a sponsor, you know, like that's, that's what we do here. You know, you get a sponsor and you work the steps and, and your life gets better and better, you know? And, and so I did get a sponsor and, and I remember he, 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 he told me to read the doctor's opinion and I didn't do it, you know, and, and he let me have it over the phone. Right. And I was so furious. Like right? I was like, this guy doesn't know who I am. How dare him talk to me like that. And, um, but then that's when I looked down at those ankle monitors and like the, the willingness kind of kicked in, you know, the gift, the gift of desperation. And I was like, you know what, like, I really don't want to go back to the life that I was living, you know? Um, and so we started working the steps and, you know, for me, you know, like the first step was pretty, pretty easy. My life was unmanageable and I was powerless over alcohol. There were so many times I told myself, I'm not going to drink. But by noon, I'm already, you know, at the, I find myself at the store getting a bottle and by two, three in the afternoon, I'm, I'm drunk as a skunk, you know? And so like, I was powerless over alcohol, but I didn't know what to do. Like there's, you know, Facebook is a great reminder because it reminds me on this day, I said, I, I'm going to quit drinking and, and using drugs and whatnot, you know? So when it pops up on my feed every so, so often, it's like, ah, you know, I tried on self-will, but right, you know, I, I failed. You know, so I have to, you know, rely on this power greater than myself, you know, and that's where this, you know, at first I was reluctant about the whole God thing, you know, because I grew up Christian and I kind of blamed him for everything that went wrong in my life. And, um, you know, but my sponsor told me like, hey, it's a God of your understanding. It's whatever you want it to be. And and you guys were my higher power group of drunks. You know, I relied on you guys. And obviously through the years, that's that's changed and manifested in, its, in, in what it is today, which I can't even tell you what it is. I just know it's not me. You know, I just know that something out there, you know, every morning um, I, I get on my knees, right, to humble myself and I turn my will and my life over to the higher power, you know, asking for direction, asking to be of maximum service to others. Um, you know, my prayers in the past consisted of God, please, I need this. I need that. Please get me out of this one. I promise it'll be different. But now it's like, how can I be of service to someone else? My family, you know, my kids, my wife, my parents, you know, my brothers, my, my fellow, you know, members in, in, in the fellowship. Like, how can I be of maximum service to them? You know, and, and when I do that stuff, like, you know, I, I get right with God, you know, I get, I get aligned and, and I'm doing God's will. And sometimes I forget I'm, I'm not perfect. And sometimes it's like, get up, go drop the kids off to school, come back. I got school myself. And like, you know, I, I get ir irritated real easily. You know, I get irritable and discontent. And like what I've learned in the program is like, I could take a moment and just say, God help, you know, that's me turning my will over to, to my higher power with those simple words, you know, God help, um, you know, and, and, 
you know, obviously because of time, like I would love to go through all the steps, but like, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I try and live in 10 and 11 and 12, you know, and, and, and trusting God, cleaning my house and, and helping others, you know, taking inventory when need be like, I'm not perfect. I don't do it all the time, but there's days where I'll, I'll review my last couple of days and be like, was I harmful to anybody? Like, do I owe anybody amends? You know, um, was I a little condescending to my wife or what, you know, like whatever it may be, you know, cause sometimes like I could get in self and I make things all about me, especially with my studies right now. Like I'll spend hours and hours studying and I'm like, Oh, but my wife is downstairs and the kids got three kids. She's cooking dinner. You know, we've got a one-year-old, a 13-year-old and 11-year-old, like, you know, like, hold on, like, let me go downstairs and help her out. Let me go see if, if I could be of service to her, you know, instead of just focusing on my studies, which are important, but they're important too, you know? So I'm working on, on finding this balance. Um, you know, today my life is full, you know, like I, I always thought I was stupid, like, you know, like, cause I barely graduated from high school and my grades, but like, you know, my sponsor helped me walk through the fear of going back to school and, and registering a community college. I graduated from there with, with presidential honors a few years ago and I got accepted to SF state. So I'm there, you know, right now. And I got a scholarship that pays for my tuition. Like those are the promises coming in true in my life today. You know, those are the promises right there, you know, um, and, and in a year I'll be graduating from there with a bachelor's degree in cinema, you know, like I applied what I learned in the program into my life, you know, and, and, and the promises are showing up in my life, but I got to continue to keep doing the work, right. It never stops. So I continue to sponsor other men right now. I'm working with two guys and, and, um, you know, it's so amazing just to see the light kick in and then, you know, like it, it reminds me of me when I was new. Like just to see how the promises start coming, you know, and working in their lives and them finding their own higher power. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, this program is, is, is amazing. Like I will never be able to give back everything that I've gotten from Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm going to try to the best of my ability. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going to try by sponsoring other men and, and, and being a service. And when asked to speak, you know, suit up and show up, um, you know, like I said, the timer went off. I could keep on going, but I don't want to take any away from, from Ted. So um, thank you guys for, for letting me, you know, share a little bit of, you know, hope with you guys today. Hi, my name is Ted and I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your lead. Uh, BGD, thanks for asking me to speak. Uh, it's funny. At first, when you asked me, I was stoked because this is one of the meetings I went to um, very, early, very early on in sobriety when it was a brick and mortar. Uh, but then I realized I have to share for 40 minutes straight and I haven't done that shit in like five years. And I was like, Oh fuck. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, but I'm super stoked to be here. Um, I owe a lot to this meeting. Um, when I was new, this was one of like my main hubs and I would, I would go every Saturday, uh, meet with my sponsor and like really, this is where I got a lot of my early foundation that carried me into my long-term sobriety. So, um, definitely start to be here. Uh, my sobriety date is February 22nd, uh, February, uh, 22nd, 2010. I had 12 years, uh, this year. Um, and yeah. Um, so what was, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, so I used to start my shares with, just kind of jumping into my first drink and it hasn't really been until the last few years where I've like dug into my childhood and my past where I realized that 
in a lot of ways, I was doing that my shares and myself a disservice by not talking about some of that stuff up front. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I was in a pretty dysfunctional household. Uh, my mom, uh, was an active alcoholic. She's sober now. Um, but back then she wasn't, uh, my dad was a, uh, recovering Catholic slash rageaholic. Um, again, great relationship with him now, not so much growing up. Um, there's a lot of times when I was younger where I was just generally scared by his presence, right? Like I would, uh, get in trouble at school, get in trouble with my sisters. And, um, you know, I, there was a lot of, there was a lot of times where I felt small in my household. Um, and I was scared, you know, if I was going to like drop a glass or something like that, like who's going to freak out who, what, like what's going to happen. And, um, you know, I think that kind of environment and, and, you know, living in fear early on, I don't necessarily know if those things made me an alcoholic, but I do think it brought me to my first drink a lot sooner than others. Um, you know, I, uh, so my first drink, uh, I was 12 years old. Uh, and at the time, you know, uh, I, you know, stuff was going on at home. Uh, school was tough teenager shit. Um, but I was babysitting at my friend's family, family's house. And, uh, it was actually kind of like the perfect setup for your first drink. Um, their house was a old converted bar. So literally like they kept the whole bar. There was just like hundreds of bottles of alcohol, uh, hard alcohol. There was a keg. And I remember at the time me and my buddy were both watching their youngest son and, and I remember like having watched the show, uh, cops on TV. And I remember that they would pull people over and they would walk in like a weird zigzag and, and wobble and, and, you know, like the, the, the sobriety test that they do. And I remember like, I wonder what that's like. Like, I want to, I want to be able to feel that it looks fun. Uh, so my first drink that night was my first drunk was my first blackout. Um, I, yeah, we, we, we found the keg. Uh, I think it turns out that beer was super old and moldy and like not digestible, but we did it anyways. Um, and, and I just remember there was a point where, um, me and my buddy both got drunk and I was sitting on the pool table and I had this just like huge, like moment of relief where all the fear that I had in school, all the fear I had, uh, not being good enough, all the fear I had, um, you know, with my family or my dad, it was just all gone for like the first moment in a long time. Uh, all that was gone and I felt at peace. And, and I, from and that moment, I was like, I want to do this all the time. Like, this is how I should feel. Right. Um, you know, I also remember in that moment, I was like, now I can finally get a girlfriend, right? Like all that anxiety. I don't have fear. Like I can talk to girls. I can have, I can have courage. I can like develop relationships. Right. And, um, you know, I chase that feeling, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get, I mean, at the time it felt hard to get alcohol when I was 12 and 13, but I found ways and, um, you know, I, I, like I drank alone a lot of the time when I was young and, you know, as I went to high school, like everybody else is drinking, I, I find weed. Weed is like this other like catalyst that like I also fall in love with. Right. Like something else that can like make me feel that sense of ease and comfort. And, um, 
There's one thing that I think like really stood out to me and I, I even recognized it at the time, but like, you know, even when my friends in high school and like everybody was like getting into drinking and doing drugs, like they could pause when we all got together and we went to somebody's house, they could pause and hang out for like several hours until they got, until like we got the bag of weed or till we got the beer. And, but like they looked content just hanging out. And I remember anytime I would go to somebody's house and we like, I knew we were going to get fucked up. I, I could not sit still. Right. Like I was a fiend and I think, you know, I'm sure it, pushed a lot of friends away at the time. But like, I just knew there was something different about me, right? Like we were all getting wasted by the end of the night, but like I could not rest until I knew when we were going to get it. Uh, and, and until I actually like had it and in my system. Right. So progresses, um, uh, I ended up. So the first time I like was able to like really go for it. Uh, I was a, I was a camp counselor at this camp I went to for years and you know, it was the first time where like, I wasn't regulated to like the amount of stuff I could like get from my, my friend's brother or like steal from my parents cabinet. Right. It was the first time I like had full access to whatever I wanted, however long I wanted. Right. Um, and, and you know, I, I crashed pretty quickly, right? Like it, it took me, about two weeks. till I got fired from there. I think the last night I was there, I was snorting some campers Ritalin and, uh, they were like, yeah, dude, you gotta go. <laughs> like, you're not like, this is not, you know, you're not, you're not in the right place. And, um, you know, that's when I like felt like my legit first real consequence, uh, for losing something when I was drinking. Uh, I also, it's funny cause at the time I think it was pitched to me that, uh, I had the option to leave the private school I was going to, but, the more I look at it and like, really, when I think about it, like I probably dropped out and had to go to the other one, uh, the other public school in, in Philly. Um, so like I was losing these things, but it wasn't registering that it was connected to drinking. It was just like, Oh, this is me doing these things. Right. And when I take it, when I take it personally and, and I'm doing these things to push people away and burn relationships, I'm just going to want to use and drink more. Um, so one morning I woke up, uh, and my, uh, my uncles are downstairs. My mom and dad are, are downstairs and they're like, you, you know, we found this place. Like you have to go. Oh, one thing, uh, before I say that one thing that I think like really solidified, um, that I was hitting a bottom, uh, I got in a physical altercation with my dad. Uh, the cops were called. I went into a cop car and they brought me to a psych ward I was released, I think that night, just because like I talked my way out of it or just like maybe my parents felt guilty. I, I don't know. Um, but that was like a really scary moment, right? Like I'm in the back of like this huge paddy wagon, like it was like the 1950s and, uh, they're taking me away and I was like, wow, this is, this is scary. But I still, uh, it wasn't like enough fear to figure out what to do from there. Right. It was just like, I was just going with it. And, um, so I wake up. Uh, uncles downstairs, uh, dad and mom downstairs. My mom's like, where are your glasses? I'm like, well, like it's 4am. Like, why do, why do you need to find my glasses? But anyways, they took me downstairs. Uh, and they, they said, you have two options. One, you have to leave the house, uh, or two, you go to this like wilderness therapy program. Right. So, um, it was pretty easy decision. I didn't want to be homeless. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go. And it also just like, I just didn't know what the fuck to do at the time. Um, 
so I go and do the thing, and there's a guy in there that is an alcoholic. He's a sober alcoholic, and it was like I think it was my first like legit AA share that I heard. He talked about how the first time he drank, he went to a party, and um, in the very beginning, uh, he had the buzz. He was the life of the party. He was making people laugh um, and felt a part of. And then later, as the night went on, he kept drinking. Uh, became an asshole, like broke some shit, um, probably called people names and like ended up being like the asshole of the party. But when he woke up, even though like he like remembered all that stuff, the only thing he could actually remember was the first 15 minutes where he felt that buzz and felt that sense of belonging. And I was like, holy shit, that's me. Right. Like that's, that's me. Um, so yeah, I identified and like, and, and that was the first time I, 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 found like a solution other than, you know, the other things that, that were presented to me. And, um, so I get sober, I go to this, uh, outpatient program in Virginia. Um, it's tough. It's tough to say some of this stuff, but like, so basically when I was in my outpatient, I was going to, uh, NA, even though I didn't really relate with, um, the bottoms and I didn't really relate with the message, but all the young people at the time were there. Um, so I went and I have nothing against that program or any 12 step programs. Like I've been to so many, I'm members of several. Um, but I didn't, I never really felt like I, I got the relief and I didn't really feel like I had found my people. Um, so I moved out to California. I'm going to school, uh, still staying sober in that program. Um, you know, but it was, it was a, it was a time period where, I was doing the steps in that program. I was in step four. I was harboring some stuff and I, and I was thinking about, okay, five is around the corner, but I didn't really trust my sponsor at the time. Like we, we had become more friends and there was a lot of behaviors that he exhibited that were pretty judgmental. And I was like, I can't share this stuff with this guy. Um, you know, I was also like now age doesn't matter to me at all whatsoever. But like at the time I was 20 years old, I was hanging out with people twice my age, sometimes even like, like, you know, older. And, um, like I felt pretty balanced. It was like, I think it's okay to try a drink again. Right. Um, because you know, I, yeah, I wanted to feel a part of, cause I didn't feel like I was a part of, um, so, uh, I go to a party and with my buddy and he knows my story. He knows I'm alcoholic. Uh, he knows I'm sober and I was like, hey, dude, I think I'm going to try drinking again tonight. And he's like, dude, are you sure? Like, you told me your story. It's pretty fucking gnarly. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. Um, and uh, the first – so I told myself that night that I was going to have two beers. And by the end of the night, I had, like, five beers and, like, four shots. Or I don't even remember, right? Um, but at the end of the night, um, I – had a blast and I'm like banging with hippies, like on the table playing drums. And like that sense I got when I had my first couple of drinks when I was younger was back. And, um, and I was like, Oh, but I, I know how to control it this time. Right. Like I, I know it, it was, incon- I think it was slightly inconvenient because like, I know people would, there's that phrase. It's like, Oh, like a, a head full of AA makes a belly full of, you know, whatever, I forget the, the wording of the phrase, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And, but I think because I didn't actually have a message, like I never really worked a full program and I didn't really have that reprieve. It wasn't like I, I knew 
what was better out there. So it was like, in a lot of ways I like felt considerably dry. So like when you like release that pressure valve and I finally get a drink again and I'm like around all these college friends and I'm like having a blast. Like it was like, this is, yeah, this is it. This is great. So they talk about fun, fun with problems and just problems. And when I was younger, you know, that period from like 13 to 18, like, it was like a, it was, you know, it was stretched out with those four years and relapsing. I relapsed for one year when I was 21 and fun, fun with problems and just problems was a lot more condensed. Um, you know, that my disease was catching up with me. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, the, yeah, the first like month or three months I, I had a really good time and then things started catching up. Right. And I, um, I remember there's a couple of things I remember. One, um, I, my grades were slipping. Um, I was broke. Like my parents gave me a credit card in college at the time. If I did not have that buffer and that cushion, there's no way I would have been living anywhere. There just really isn't like I would have, I would have probably been homeless or have just found my way in all these different situations. Like I had, um, a lot of systems in place that like, made it hard for me to fuck up, but I was still fucking up. Um, and really I was just, I was miserable. Uh, I ended up being in a relationship where I was verbally abusive. Um, and, uh, things were just not okay. And I remember I went to the Sundance film festival, uh, with my classmates and my buddy had ecstasy and he gave me some ecstasy. I put it in my wallet and it like broke up in little pieces and it was mixed together with like crumbs and shit. Um, and, and there was a, there was a moment where I like emptied my wallet to like find the ecstasy. And it's like, yeah, there's like dust and like crumbs and, and like the ecstasy's mushed with it all together. And I'm like on my hands and knees and I'm licking it off the table at this moment. I was like, Oh, I should probably go back to AA or I should probably get sober again. <laughs> like this is, that's like that moment, right? That's the moment where, um, you know, it's, it, the incomprehensible demoralization, right. It was very, very clear. Um, so I come back, uh, and initially it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard to, to try to get sober again. I, I went to a couple of meetings that summer, uh, when I went back home to Philadelphia and, um, I couldn't do it. Like I would go to meetings and I would earnestly want to be sober again, but I physically, and like mentally, spiritually could not do it. So I hit this bottom back in school and I reached out to a buddy who was in that other program, but he, he was also an AA and, uh, I talked to him and he was, he was awesome. He 12 set me and he, he was like, Hey, like, let's just work, focus on damage control. Like, let's just get you to a meeting and like, see how you feel about it. Like all like attraction rather than promotion, right? Like if he had, promoted the shit of, of, of getting sober at the time. Like I, you know, I'm maybe I probably would eventually found AA, but like, it was a really nice entryway back into, you know, our way of life. And the thing I remember is, you know, because I hadn't really fully worked to program before I relapsed. And like, even though I, I had this like level of depression, I do remember things were just stable. And all I could think of is like, things are so chaotic right now. Uh, I'll take anything else other than this. So I went to uh, College Bay in Berkeley, uh, 
lot, a couple dudes in here, uh, from, from that meeting. Um, you know, and I walked in and instantly I was, I felt like, I felt like I found my people, you know, there's all these college kids, there's all these, you know, like good looking ladies, you know, there's like some cool looking guys I want to hang out with. And, um, and it just like, yeah, it was literally attraction rather than promotion. Like it, I felt the energy in the room, people were laughing, uh, people seemed like calm, like, like there was, yeah, I don't know. There was just like this, this, this sense of belonging that I really craved and I found it. The first speaker there shared a very similar version of my story. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I got a sponsor like that week after, uh, I worked, he, I think it was like the first night I worked with him. He brought me, he, he dropped me off in my apartment. He's like, Hey dude, let's just work on, let's just do your first step right now. And, um, you know, I'm really glad he did that because I genuinely do believe there's, we have a window of willingness and like that window, I was really fucking willing and I was able to, um, tap into the work and, um, yeah. And it was just like, and that's what I tell new, new guys too, is like, you know, if, if you feel like receptive, right. Against this disease that wants to keep you out, like try to seize on that moment and like, let's actually do the work because that moment can actually be pretty fleeting. Um, and I find that with all the other stuff I do like with emotional sobriety too, it's like, Hey, I've got this window of willingness. Like I, I probably should seize on it. And God's trying to tell me, Hey dude, like this is the moment. Um, yeah. So I get sober, um, do my first, fourth and fifth step, have a pretty phenomenal spiritual, uh, experience, shared all the stuff I was afraid to share with my old spot, like my sponsor from before, uh, the weight was lifted. Uh, I remember I walked home that day after I did my fifth step and I look up and I could like see the trees and they were like in H, you know, fucking 4k, 8k, like everything was a lot more clear. It's not like I was having a hallucin, like a hallucination. It was more like I had walked there looking at the ground and I left looking up at the sky. Right. Like I didn't have the fear of just being in my head. I could, when that stuff was out, I could actually enjoy my surroundings and be, like be part of the world. And that was, it was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm sober, um, for like four years and, um, things are good. Like, f- f- like develop amazing friendships, do a bunch of fun shit. Like later in sobriety, I end up going to Thailand. Then I like going to tiger cage with one of the dudes that's in the meeting right now. Um, you know, so I did a lot of fun shit. And, w- and one thing I like to like tell new guys, especially younger guys is just, like, you know, I, even though like there are, we look at the fun times when we were drinking and using, like I've had so much more actual fun that I can remember and hold on to in sobriety that I didn't think was possible before I went to AA. Like I've jumped out of fucking airplanes. I've been all over the world. Like, um, you know, and, and that's something that I, I always forget is like, Hey, this was the, this is the full life that I ended up getting, um, that I didn't know I, you know, I, I could have. Um, so, uh, four years sober, uh, stop working a program, uh, going on Tinder, uh, compulsive dating, acting out, um, burning relationships, character defects. Um, and I hit another bottom and it is a 
big emotional sobriety dip. And I was like, I'm either going to drink or I don't know what, and I need to find a new sponsor. Right. So I got a new sponsor and I work a thorough sex inventory. Everything I did uh, beforehand and mostly in sobriety. Right. Cause I, I did a lot of damage sober after I get that, like one, two year pink cloud, like I start acting out again and it catches up with me. Um, so, uh, I do this. I, I, I reach out to the sponsor. I'm willing again, cause the pain is big enough for me to actually do something about it. Uh, I do my sex inventory and then I actually do my first real six and seven. This is the second time I did the steps, but like six and seven, I barely even remembered. But like what I found out and what I found out still to this day is like six and seven are, I think are like almost the most important steps, at least for me, because, you know, um, the stuff that makes me want to check out are the behaviors that I continue that are left unchecked. Um, and you know, when I had done that inventory, I was able to really look at those character defects and, there's something magical about a really thorough six and seven where, you know, uh, when I see all my bad behaviors out on a piece of paper and I can like condense it and, and see it like line by line, it's no longer, I'm a bad shit person and I have shame that I need to like cover up or escape with. It's, Oh, these are things that I have done, um, that are not in God's will, not in my higher powers will. And it's not me. And I have a choice to turn it over and I can pray to have it removed and I can work on that stuff. And, um, yeah, and that was like a really big turning point. And so, uh, let's see. So I think I hit a uh, year. Uh, also, can you let me know when I have like five minutes, uh, if you need me a five minute timer before I'm out, that'd be, that'd be dope. Um, so I'm sober, uh, I'm in, I moved to LA and, um, I get into a relationship or I start to get in a relationship and I don't know how to do it. I'm in a shitload of fear and, um, you know, everything that wasn't working for me that made me do that sex inventory wasn't working for me trying to start this new relationship. Um, and I ended up, um, figuring out, Hey, you know what? Like, I AA has given me so much um, and it continues to give me so much. My primary program, like I, I have my, 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 you know, home group that I go to every Friday, but it was like, all right, I'm going to go explore a little bit of Al-Anon. I'm going to explore more shit in therapy about like, why can't I have any healthy and sustaining relationships? And um, I got to, I got to find out like if it's hysterical, it's historical. If I have a hysterical reaction to something, it has to do with my past. And, um, I got to do that work and, um, it was like a third surrender. My, my old sponsor would talk about how in AA, like when you get time, you, you, you go through several different surrenders so that like the second surrender I had was at the second inventory. And then I had like a third big one when I, you know, went to Al-Anon and I also started working on my other shit. And, um, and I think, um, yeah. I mean, like it opened up a lot and, you know, I, I, I'm in a relationship now. I, I, I got engaged, uh, in December, which is fucking awesome. I've been with her for uh, almost five years and, and I have a job and I don't always like the people I work with, but I like my job. I get paid to be creative and I get, I get paid pretty, pretty well for what I do. And, 
Um, and I have a French bulldog that's like my son. I fucking love him. Um, and I have really, really good friends in sobriety, like really good friends. And, um, you know, I think, uh, one thing I will say is that I have definitely not lived a linear, like, like happy go lucky sobriety. I've lived a pretty messy sobriety, but, um, I've done work and, um, like the one thing that's always been consistent, right? Like there has been a year, there's been, you know, a year, if not a year and a half at some point where I wasn't doing any, AA, I wasn't going to meetings. And, um, I don't know if like, so I do believe it to an extent, but when they say like this, the, like to the degree you stop doing a, the closer you get to a drink, I, I think I do think that happens. I don't know how fast that happens, but I, what I do know is that when I stop working a, I become a lot more miserable. And, um, you know, um, there's a very key difference between when I'm talking shit out, I'm being honest with people, I'm doing 10 steps and going to meetings, I'm letting go versus like, having a resentment, like fostering it, raising it as my own and like letting it consume me and, and, and become, you know, this thing where I'm irritable, restless, irritable, discontent, just like I was beforehand. And, um, it's, I think sometimes for me, it can be very easy to get there because I have all this stuff, right? Like I made this life that AA set up for me and I, I can sometimes take it for granted and, uh, I can, I can like slack off. I can go back into those character defects. But, um, one thing that is awesome about AA is you can always re-surrender and you can always go back. So if you like have been acting out and you've been like an asshole to people or you're drinking and you're relapsing and you like, and you like want to stop and you like, you want to surrender, you want to stop, like you always have that option and AA is always here. It always is. And, um, I think one thing that I've always done, even if there's been peri- long periods where I wasn't going to meetings, uh, my friends in the program and the fellowship, I've, I've always talked to people on the phone. Um, I've reached out to current sponsors, old sponsors, uh, and I've surrounded myself with other alcoholics, sober alcoholics. Uh, and, um, that I think like is pretty much the common denominator. I like, there's years where I've done so much inventory, so much work, and there's years I haven't. But there's with those years, there's always people that I've been connecting with and talking to. And so I've never felt like I'm out. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess we'll just talk really quick about what uh, what happened to me this last two weeks. I, so I ended up going on a work trip to Spain, and uh, it was awful. Um you know, I've been, Oh, real quick. I started a men's meeting with my old buddy that I actually went to college Bay with, uh, Friday nights on zoom. A couple of you guys in the meeting are here, um, in here for ne- here right now. Um, but that was like huge, right? COVID COVID hit shit sucks. Like let's start a men's meeting with like all the homies and we opened it up to, um, you know, several other people, right? Like it's on the listings. You can go to it. Um, and that was a huge saving grace for the last two years. It's been awesome connecting with old people that, I, that I've known for a long time. 
Um, and it's also great to see new people. It's awesome. It's great to, to like welcome newcomers in there. Um, I actually got a sponsee that, uh, not Gabe, uh, but there's another sponsee that lives in Kentucky that I met on zoom and we all got together, um, last summer went to like around not Santa Barbara. We, yeah. We went near San Diego and then a bunch of us grown ass men went to Disneyland and had a fucking blast, <laughs> you know, um, it is awesome. And, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that, that sponsees do for me. One thing I wanted to say too, is that, um, sometimes if I'm like slacking off and I get a sponsee, um, I feel like I can be too hard on myself and not give myself enough credit for the work I've done in the program. Like that just because like there's a certain period where I'm not as tapped in. Like when I talk to a sponsee and they're asking me questions about how to get sober and what, what I did and what to continue to do. I, I always surprise myself. I'm like, I actually do have a lot to share. I actually do have a lot to give back. And, um, I wish I had that voice with me more often because I think a lot of alcoholics and I know I'm not the only one. I have a lot of friends in the program that experience this too, is like, we can beat ourselves up, ourselves up for not like being as connected as we, as a hundred percent all the time. And like, there's this program is hard. It is hard to get sober. It's hard to stay sober. It's hard to do the work for emotional sobriety. And like, I, I think the fact that we're all here right now, like that's pretty dope already, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. So anyways, I go to Spain. I'm on this work trip. It's awful. Um, I'm at dinner and they're passing around sangria. I, so I'd go to the waitress and I was like, Hey, um, please give me something not an alcoholic. She's like, okay. She drops off this picture in front of me. I thought it was not sangria. It was sangria, but I didn't swallow it. I took a sip and my whole mouth was full of fucking sangria and I felt the burn instantly. And I was like, that's, alcoholic. Uh, and I had this moment of panic and I talked to a fellow about it last night. Um, and I had that moment in the book where I said, we will recoil from it. Like it's a hot flame. Uh, I get up out of my chair. It's super awkward, but I don't give a fuck. I get out of my chair, go to the bathroom, spit it all out. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool that like if alcohol is near me or it like is very almost in my system by accident, like, uh, I can be like, this is like, no, like, you know, like my body rejects that and, and, and I owe that to AA, right? Like I could have swallowed that. I could have had a whole glass. I could have like, I could have easily relapsed. Like I'm in Spain. No one's there. Right. Like who's going to know, like I could have totally done that. And I'm 12 years sober. Right. Like I think that moment also made me remember and realize how fragile sobriety can be. And that like, there's still work I can do. And like, and that it is sacred. Like every day that I'm sober, it's, it's sacred. And, um, yeah. Um, it looks like my time's almost up, but I, I guess I'll, I'll say, um, it's really good to be here. Um, I do like what I'm picked to share because it gets me out of self. And like when I knew I had to share for 40 minutes tonight, I was like, okay, I probably should do some yoga. I should probably like stop acting out so I can get my head straight and be of service. And like, I felt like I, I feel like I should just be asked to speak more <laughs> because it makes me be a better AA. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just, I'll, I'll probably wrap it up, but, um, yeah, it's just really good to be here. And, um, I love this double speaker meeting. I used to listen to it, uh, when I was newly sober, like I would go in person, but then I had to go away for summer in college 
and I'll listen to the podcast always. Like I would listen to it like in the car, like when I was having a rough time and, you know, I owe a lot to this meeting and I owe a lot to uh, East Bay AA and uh, thank you BGD for having me speak.